Hello, listener. I'm Peter Gibbs, and welcome back to the Chew the Clock podcast, brought to you by Viewpoints. At the time of this recording, it is Monday, September 19th, and while I don't have a guest for you today, what I have is an in-depth look at every Riverside City College sports team. I'm going to give an even bigger look at cross-country with how they score their races, and we'll finish with professional sports. With that, let's get on with the show. Let's begin with football. On September 17th, the Tigers went on the road for the first time this season, and they squared off against Saddleback. The game was light work for RCC, as the final score was 34-3. There was a good balance of offense and defense being the reason for the blowout. On offense, you had QB Jake Retzloff having another great game. He completed 23 passes for 259 yards and three touchdowns. Although I do have to admit he did have two interceptions in that matchup. So not as amazing as we're so used to, but still a very good performance from Retzloff. His main target was actually not Reggie, his brother. Instead, it was receiver Norbert Espadron. Espadron caught four passes for 84 yards as well as two TDs on the day. Now for the defense, it was a group effort on this game against Saddleback. As you might recall from my conversation last week with Hayden Kulik, the defense was letting up too many passes. They weren't really sticking to the receiver. Um, and for that reason, the defensive coordinator and the coaches were saying, we need to work on staying with our receivers so that way we don't give up as many passes. This time though, in this game, they worked on it over the week and 15 passes were completed, only 15. And that's from two quarterbacks, because here's the thing. Saddleback was losing, so when you're losing in football, you're probably going to be throwing the ball more, so that way you can try and catch up quicker. And Saddleback had to go to their second-string quarterback because their first string just wasn't getting it done. Our defense played that well. I also want to give credit to our defensive line. They ended up getting a total of six sacks in this game against Saddleback. For reference, the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Dallas Cowboys so far this year against the Cincinnati Bengals have sacked quarterback Joe Burrow of the Bengals a total of over 10 times this year. So pretty much our defensive line, they were tearing it up this game. Great performance from them. It's great to see that effort and that commitment to rushing the passer. Now it's time for my star of the game. It was from the offense this time. It was actually running back Jock Jones, who averaged 6.2 yards per carry. He was able to run the clock out after rushing 13 times for 81 yards. Being able to run the ball so well has helped the Tigers wear down their opponent. So even in close games, which although they haven't had one yet, they will most likely have one down the road. Running the ball helps wear down the opponent. It helps tire out the opposing defense and it just helps keep our defense off the field and give them a good enough rest so that way they're prepared to go back out and take on the opposing offense. For that reason, it makes sense to give Jacques Jones my star of the game for football against Saddleback. 
Your Tigers will be back on the road again this week as they take on Golden West, September 24th. That game begins at 12 p.m. Moving on, women's water polo had a very nice week. After going 4-1, the team has improved to an overall record of 7-2 on the season. I really want to give more detail for the September 17th game that they had against Santa Barbara. A good team, in my opinion, will win games and be able to hold on to leads. But if adversity strikes, that good team will falter and they'll end up losing the game. However, in my opinion, a great team is able to overcome adversity to pull out close wins. And that's what I believe the Tigers women's water polo team is this year. They are a great team. In the game against Santa Barbara, it was back and forth with each team going on a run. They would get a few goals here and there, and then the other team would get a few goals in a row. So late in the fourth quarter, Santa Barbara took the lead after scoring three straight goals. All the momentum was against the Tigers, but then Lauren Loffelmacher and Jaden Johnson brought the team back. Loffelmacher scored two goals off of Johnson assists to help complete the late comeback against Santa Barbara, helping give RCC the win. Like I said, a great team will find a way to overcome adversity and win. Even when all the momentum is gone, they will find a way to claw their way back into the game and end up taking the W. This next week, there aren't any games scheduled for women's water polo, so it'll be interesting to see if that momentum kind of carries on when the Tigers are back in action. They will be back September 28th. Now, while women's water polo has been on fire lately, unfortunately, the men's water polo team has been kind of the opposite. Right now, I don't want anybody to think that I'm being biased or that I'm being too harsh on the men's team. Um, because I really don't. I really just want them to succeed. And I think that in sports, you can always see improvement. And that's what I'd like to see from the men's team. Right now, they've lost six straight. Uh, they lost September 14th when Golden West beat them 15-7. to As I mentioned, six straight losses. What I've seen so far is the men's team just isn't getting off to a fast start. Over this six-game losing streak, uh, there's only been two points where the Tigers have had the lead, and they have not led by more than a goal over that stretch. So what I think we as fans of the Tigers men's team can expect is for at least a better start. Um, They will be back on September 21st. That's when they take on Saddleback on the road. That will be a game starting at 4 p.m. They will also have three more games at the end of this week. Hopefully, they'll snap their streak at some point during this week. Uh, Those three games at the end will be a Cuesta tournament, both September 23rd and September 24th. There will be a minimum of three games to be played, actually. And then we will see if they go farther in that tournament. But until then, I hope that the men's team can pick up some slack a little bit get off to a better start, and help have those better starts carry momentum throughout the rest of the game. Next up, we have women's volleyball. The Tigers went 1-1 this past week, moving to 3-4 on the season. 
On September 14th, it was a win in four sets against Southwestern, but unfortunately, two days later on September 16th, Irvine Valley won in three sets. What I do want to take a look at for the women's volleyball team is not just the main star, but also the supporting cast and who is stepping up and helping give volleyball these wins. Right now, Maggie Alberto leads the team in points, but I want to highlight both Nina Pei and Jessica Lepe as two other stars of the team. Pei is averaging 3.4 points per set. So if you don't know, a set is the first one to score 25 points, but you have to win by two. So say the other team scores 24, you have to score two more and you have to get to 26 to win the set. So for that, Pei is averaging 3.4 points per set. So far this season, she has 70.5 points total. Pretty good considering Maggie Alberto is around 80 points or so. So it's a nice, nice supporting teammate in getting those points in. But also, I want to mention Lepe. She leads the team with eight blocks this season. That puts her to 69.5 points so far this year. It's kind of a three-headed monster with Alberto leading the way, and then you have Pie and Lepe following right behind, giving great backup. They're just a nice three-headed monster, in my opinion. There are three games scheduled this week for RCC, with road games against Desert, that will be September 20th at 5 p.m., and another road game against Fullerton, that one will be September 21st at 6 p.m. Then the Tigers will play Orange Coast at home September 23rd, starting at 6 p.m. So far, I've only given scoring details for water polo and volleyball, and I've kind of assumed people know how football scores, but I forgot to mention how cross country scores their races. What I love about cross country is that it's both an individual sport and a team sport, which I guess you could say that for every sport, but this one in particular focuses equally on both the individual and team aspect. As an individual, you obviously want to place as high as possible, but for the team, even if you're not the fastest one, you want to make sure that you try and be as close as possible to your next teammate so you can help out the team. The reason for that is because team scoring in cross country takes the top five finishers, and those are the ones who have an official score so say, for example, RCC had a race where they finished first, second, third, fourth, and fifth. Their total points for that would be 15, which would be, you know, if they got top five, that'd be incredible. But that's just an example. Um, also, just to keep a reminder for everybody, cross-country scoring is like golf, where the lowest score wins as a team. But also, the sixth and seventh runners and every other runner after that have a really important role of trying to place higher than an opposing team. Because if you can do that, you're knocking down potential scorers that actually count farther down the line. So say you had an opponent with a runner that finished 13th, and then the next person on that team came in 20th place because RCC had like four runners in between. That really affects the opposing team's score, and that's how cross-country kind of is explained. Hopefully I'm making that clear enough for people. I know it's kind of confusing, 
If you're still confused, make sure to check out www.scasd.org and they will give you a more detailed explanation about cross-country scoring. Now it's time to move on to see how the women's cross-country team did recently. September 16th, the Tigers were at the Golden West Invitational held in Huntington Beach. For the women, it was a 5K race where 11 schools attended, although only three teams actually had enough runners to qualify. But out of those three schools, RCC finished first as a team. They were led by sophomore Elaney Huntley again. She led the team with a third place finish out of 45 racers. Her time was officially 20 minutes, 11 seconds. So far, Huntley's been very consistent with her times, which allows others on the team to improve without the added stress of trying to be that top runner and get the most points for your team. As for the men's side of cross country, this week they ran a four mile race. They were also at that Golden West Invitational. 10 teams competed in this race, and out of the nine teams that actually qualified, RCC also finished first as a team. So if you're counting, that's two first place finishes for our RCC Tigers as a team. Individually, just like Huntley, Gavin Condit, he's been very consistent so far. He was the top runner again as he finished third place out of 89 runners with a time of 20 minutes, 43 seconds. However, I want to credit three other runners on the RCC men's team for helping the team finish first. Ryan Reyes finished fifth, Gonzalo Sanchez finished eighth, and Kyle Reedon finished ninth. That's four runners in the top 10, and it helped become a blowout as a team event for the RCC Tigers. Cross country will be back. Both teams will be racing September 23rd in the Southern California preview in Bakersfield. All right, let's move on to a professional sports update. As someone who lives on the West Coast of the country, I'm privileged enough to watch all the games pretty much where I can wake up at nine o'clock and I can watch football on a Sunday and I I go to bed after the last game ends at 10 o'clock. Whereas on the East Coast, it ends more around one o'clock in the morning, which is a bit late for those who have work in the next day. But I bring this up because baseball actually They have journalists on the East Coast who have claimed that East Coast teams are better than here on the West Coast. However, you have two of the most exciting teams in baseball in the LA Dodgers, who just won their 100th game, by the way, and the San Diego Padres, who are about to make the playoffs as a wildcard team. Now, disclaimer, they have been a little slacking lately, so who knows, I might be jinxing them. But still, they're in position to make the wildcard. Also, there's Shohei Otani and Mike Trout, two of the most electric players in all of baseball. I feel they've been underrated, just those two players as well as those two teams, because they're not watched consistently. Games here on the West Coast start at 7 in the, in the evening, and they finish 10 in the evening West Coast time, Pacific Standard Time. For an East Coast person, they're not trying to stay up until 1 in the morning watching a game, especially baseball for those who think it's boring. I get that. Casual fans not going to watch a random game out on the West Coast if they don't have to. 
All I want to say though is I feel there's an East Coast bias where they don't get the chance to watch everybody here on the West Coast. And I'd like to see more East Coast writers take into account all the teams across the nation. I mean, you even look outside of Southern California, you got the Seattle Mariners about to break their lack of a playoff streak for the first time in what, like 20 years, something like that. And you have other exciting teams here on the West Coast. So I just, I feel there's a bit of a bias and I just had to rant that to everybody. So rant over, I'm sorry, but I hope that you take up my opinion on that where East Coast is kind of biased. For the NFL, the Chargers played Thursday night football against the Kansas City Chiefs on September 15th. Unfortunately, it was a 27 to 24 loss, but there were some really good moments in that game. Not only was cornerback JC Jackson back from injury and making his Chargers debut, but Justin Herbert kind of showed out to the world on national television how good he is. Herbert suffered broken rib cartilage in the second half of the game, which really hindered his play. I remember there was a third down where he was trying to throw away the ball and he moved his arm up into a throwing position and he just couldn't do anything. So he just tossed it away, pretty much. But then the next play, you saw the greatness of Justin Herbert. He threw a 40-yard dot for pretty much a touchdown. It went to like the one-yard line. 40 yards, purely accurate for a guy who has broken rib cartilage. I'm just amazed at seeing him as a football player, as a quarterback. He's really talented. Make sure that you check out the Chargers whenever they play because it's, it's... primetime television pretty much it's just electric for them meanwhile the la rams that's my team by the way they played september 18th against the atlanta falcons and they ended up winning 31 to 27 i was a little worried my heart pressure was going up a little bit that was because the rams held a 31 to 10 lead in the second half and as the score dictated, they kind of blew it. So a little scary, but a win is a win nonetheless. I'm happy. They just got me a little nervous is all I'm trying to say. In the world of Division I college football, you had UCLA beating South Alabama 32-31 to on a game-winning field goal as clock expired. UCLA is now 3-0 on the season, one of their better starts in recent memory. Meanwhile, for USC, it was an easy win against Fresno State, but it really showed that the offense, led by Caleb Williams, the quarterback, is just amazing to watch. It feels every drive is going to end in points for the Trojans, and that showed they won 45 to 17. Trojans are now 3-0 on the season, and are the seventh ranked team in the country, according to the Associated Press Top 25 poll. I have just a brief update in basketball. Not much really happened for the Clippers this past week, but the Lakers, on the other hand, signed Dennis Schroeder to a contract. They brought him back for a second stint. He had turned down this big contract for like four years, $84 million, and he left and played for the Celtics for a year. And now he's back with the Lakers on a very cheap one-year deal. Finally, Major League Soccer. I know, I'm bringing up American soccer. 
It has one month left in the season, and both Los Angeles teams are in great position for the playoff hunt. Right now, you have LAFC. They're the top team in the Western Conference, while the LA Galaxy are in the final playoff spot at the moment. Now, LA Galaxy fans are a little nervous because a bad streak could get you all the way to 12th place in the conference, but a good streak, on the other hand, could get you all the way up to 4th place in the Western Conference. It'll be interesting to see what the Galaxy do over the next month of play. Finally, in global sports, star tennis player Roger Federer announced his retirement after a Hall of Fame career which saw him win 20 Grand Slam events. If you remember watching Federer play, his main rival was Rafael Nadal from Spain, and Federer is a Swiss tennis player. But Federer just had this dominant stretch over his career. Um, it was just amazing to watch. 20 Grand Slam events is really, really impressive, considering, for example, Serena Williams finished her career just a couple weeks ago with 23 Grand Slam events. So just greatness is coming to an end in tennis, and I don't want people to overlook that. Finally, in the world of golf, the President's Cup begins September 20th. It will go to September 25th. For those who don't know, the President's Cup is this kind of match play between two teams. You have an American-based team with all the top stars here from the USA versus the international team. There is a little catch this year because many of the top international names are joining the Live Golf League, which is a Saudi Arabian-based league where it's kind of paid a ton of money to these big stars to play for them. And for that reason, there's not as much talent in this President's Cup as there have been in recent years. Still should be very exciting though, the Americans are favored in this competition. That's all I have for this episode of the Chew the Clock podcast. Remember to check the school newspaper around campus or go online to viewpointsonline.org for more stories and briefs on your RCC sports teams. Until then, I'm Peter Gibbs. We'll see you next time.